When Sophia's first love comes for a visit, she decides she wants to go back to the old country for a visit of her own, the only thing stopping her, needing Dorothy's money to do so. With a bowling tournament coming up, Blanche and Rose are set to be teammates. That is until Rose changes partners in hopes of having a better chance at the top prize. Before they can even get to the alley, teams have been torn apart, mother goes against daughter, and a flight to Italy is on the line. Let's find out who walks away a winner in today's episode, The Competition. While the first six episodes were iconic and beloved in their own way, this is really the first classic episode of the series and one that really shows each lady's personality while working with the other gals. The women are all involved in a storyline together while working through their own stories within it. We start in the kitchen, delighted with Sophia's singing and not the normal transition music. While she stirs a sauce on the stove that has drawers on the side that should be on a wall, which has always bugged me, Dorothy walks in and between the sights, sounds, and smells, knows Sophia is making her famed 14-hour spaghetti sauce. As someone that once sold a veggie marinara sauce at farmer's markets, let me tell you, it is an undertaking, and I don't even simmer it for 14 hours like she did. Maybe I would have sold more if I had. Hmm. Hey, Alicia. Hey, Coco. Uh, hi. Uh, uh, tell me about your, your sauce sauce game. Uh, it was called Auntie Lou's, and I'm a very, I'm the pickiest eater you'll ever meet, and I'm a vegetarian working towards veganism, so I'm a nightmare, <laughs> and I wanted to make something that was not only like for kids, but also for people like me that needed to hide their veggies, so it was the base of a spaghetti sauce, but then piled with all sorts of veggies that had spinach and rhubarb and beets and all sorts of stuff that mixed together. And I really liked it. And people that tried it really liked it. And then I do what I always do, which is to start a small business and give up on it when it doesn't work out right away. Dorothy pushes as to what the special occasion is because the last time Sophia made her special sauce, it was when her cousin that looked like Tony Bennett, the crooner that isn't exactly the most handsome, especially when you're using him to describe a woman, was married off. But Sophia acts nonchalant. Rose joins them in the kitchen and thinks, disrespectfully, that the sauce she's smelling is that of Chef Boyardee, which by that time was a cheap cupboard staple. While the brand name was a literal punchline in the 80s, it was in 1924 when Italian immigrant Chef Boyardi left his head chef position at the Plaza Hotel. That's right, the Plaza in New York, to open his own Italian restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. Everyone loved his spaghetti sauce so much, he sold it in his restaurant by packaging it in milk bottles. A few years later, he focused solely on the sauce and moved to Pennsylvania to grow his ingredients and package them. 
After being used in World War II for military meals, the end of the war meant the end of his company. Selling for $6 million in 1946, he continues to be the face of the brand to this day. I have no shame in having had a love for the chef when I was growing up and still really wish they would make a Beyond Meat ravioli. It's not like it's really real meat in the ravioli anyway. It's more of a meat butter that's a great description of Chef Boyardee meat. Thank you. All of them. The hot dogs, the meatballs, <laughs> the ravioli. I never ventured outside of the beefaroni mm-hmm. and the ravioli. The hot dogs scared me too much. Yeah, that was my, the hot dogs were my jam when I was a kid. <laughs> All the way. A Totino's party pizza is not a pizza. Right. And, sh- and SpaghettiOs are not pasta. Right. But they are. But they're delicious. They're their own weird thing. Mm-hmm. While the ladies continue with the sauce, Blanche enters carrying a bowling ball she has purchased for the upcoming bowling tournament. I don't know of many people that have had their own bowling balls. I did get one in high school, not because I was so skilled and bowling all the time, but because I have what's called brachiodactyl type D or stub thumbs or stump thumbs or as I call them, toe thumbs. I couldn't get a bowling ball that was big enough for my wide thumbs that didn't also weigh 20 pounds. If you too have toe thumbs, you should know we share a trait with Megan Fox and that another nickname for them is murderer's thumbs because of the temper toe-thumbed people tend to have. I don't know anything about what that's talking about, but um, Coco, do you have any thoughts on murderer's thumbs? I believe there may be a connection between the shape of one's thumbs and their temper level. And I think that your thumbs get you into a lot of trouble. So it's the thumbs. It's not me. It's like I'm a Taurus. I'm not rude. I'm a Taurus. Your thumbs are a Taurus. <laughs> Blanche's bowling ball reminds everyone of the upcoming bowling tournament they've entered. While at first it all seems to be in good fun, the competitive nature of the ladies, especially Dorothy and Rose, soon starts to come out. Dorothy was a bowler with a 180 average. That puts her right in the above average range of 170 to 190. Those numbers get Rose's competitive juices flowing as she questions her partnership with Blanche when facing the Nielsen twins at the tournament. Perhaps it's my own personal sisterhood coming out of bowling that I have such fondness for this episode. My best friend Jocelyn and I actually met at school and solidified our friendship by choosing the semester of bowling instead of running, because duh. Sophia takes just a few seconds to burn Dorothy, sample her own marinara, and get really horny for it. Dorothy tries to get Sophia to join her for the tournament. Sophia turns it down because she's booked. An old boyfriend, nay, secret fiancé, is coming from Italy for a visit. Dorothy is shocked because she not only didn't know her mother had been engaged, but had never even heard of the man her mother had once loved, Augustine Bagatelli. Blanche is all ears, alluding to Sophia having a naughty past such as her own, but Sophia quickly shuts her down by saying, but unlike yours, I didn't need penicillin to get through it. This is in reference to the most widely used antibiotic in the world. Discovered by accident in 1928 by Sir Alexander Fleming, penicillin changed the medical world, allowing for treatment of what were once deadly illnesses such as meningitis, pneumonia, I'm sorry, that's pneumonia, the P is silent. And in the case of Blanche, Sophia alludes chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis, sexually transmitted infections. So why didn't Sophia marry Augustine? Because of World War II. 
He had gone off to fight in the war, and then 40-something years later, he sent the telegram stating he would be coming for a visit. It's the day of Augustine's arrival, and Sophia scampers out into the living room wearing a black dress, black shawl, and black hat. She looks like she's dressed for a funeral, not a former lover's arrival. When Dorothy tells her she looks like she's in mourning, Sophia is elated. She wants Augustine to know she is single but has not yet mingled. Rose is taken aback by the outfit, unsure of how to handle Sophia's choice in dress. Dorothy, unfazed by her mother's antics, confirms with Rose that she was able to get everyone signed up for the bowling tournament. I think that the old widow style, mm-hmm. all black everything, is just like the coolest It really is. Look, it's great. Especially with like the veil and the little pillbox hat mm-hmm. and like the little purse. There's like mystery to it. Yeah. And some there's like some fringe, I think, mm-hmm. coming off of her. Yeah, it's, it's like the it's a like shawl. a lace shawl with yeah. fringe at the bottom. Yeah. I mean that really look nice. is like the best. That's cool. Augustine arrives and is played by actor Ralph Manza. He had quite the career, appearing in over 160 movies and TV shows, working until the final year of his life in 2000. And what a career he had. Basically, if you've seen any classic TV show from the 60s through the 90s, you've seen Ralph Manza. He had appearances in Boy Meets Girl, Charmed, Living Single, Sister Sister, Get Shorty, Northern Exposure, The Nanny, Seinfeld, Fresh Prince, Murder, She Wrote, Growing Pains, Matlock, Chips, Little House, Soap, Blazing Saddles, Get Smart, Dragnet, Batman, General Hospital, Perry Mason, Twilight Zone, and Alfred Hitchcock Presents, just to name a few. Augustine arrives and Sophia jumps up to answer the door to show she's still youthful and agile. Augustine is as petite and adorable as Sophia is. With so many decades and lives lived between now and the time they had together, their initial meeting is a little awkward. They're clearly excited to see each other, but at first they sit quietly, just trying to make small talk. They talk about how Sophia's Sal has been gone 22 years, while Augustine's wife died 31 years ago. She was a girl from their village in Sicily who was known for having a bit of an eccentric and alcoholic father. The lovebirds head out for a walk while Rose and Dorothy swoon over the romance of it all. When Rose rhetorically asks why Italian men are so romantic, Dorothy informs her it's because of the tight pants. While she's probably more so referring to the friction a man would feel on his wee-wee, shall we say, from the tight pants, they can actually be a health risk. Men wearing too tight a trouser have experienced urinary tract infections, bladder weakness, low sperm count, fungal infections, and even twisted testicles. Have you ever twisted a testicle, Coco? No, um, I don't think I've twisted it. I'm very afraid of that. I think it's called torsion when it yes. happens, and I am petrified. It's when your your little strings get tied up <laughs> and twisted in the bag. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you haven't experienced that. Oh, my God, yeah. No I tight pants know. for you. No, no, no. I, you know, one time I did wear tight pants, and then that night I... I counted my sperm and it was like way lower. (laughs) Never again. I want all of them. Dorothy changes the subject to a far more concerning topic, the bowling tournament. She wants Rose to tell her who she signed up to be her partner. Blanche storms into the kitchen and is, well, stunned. Rose sheepishly admits that she dumped her already partner, Blanche, in favor of Dorothy after learning of her bowling average. Ooh, there's that lobster pan up above the sink. This was your first day seeing it, wasn't it, Coco? That and also that the kitchen was a weird shape. Yes, so we're still in the early episodes with the old kitchen where when they open the door, there's that 
like is that a buffet whatever that is that like big thing and then oh, yeah. the wall kind of comes out and i don't know we'll have to keep watching because i don't remember what episode it is that they're like this extra bit of wall is totally unnecessary let's just make it a flat wall it's very distracting to see it's a it's it's a i guess you could for the set maybe you could use it to like they could do some little hijinks and stuff, but yeah, it seems, they, and they never yeah. did. And then they just moved it. They're like, oh, this yeah. was a bad design. And then when they do that, that's when we get the lobster pan, the infamous lobster pan moved from the ceiling to behind the stove. Rose makes the argument that she is desperate to win and Dorothy was the only option. She then shares a dark secret. With a face of discomfort and eyes that get lost like a veteran telling a war story, she admits that she had to change high schools because of a field hockey incident. I find this very relatable. I didn't have to change schools, but I did spend plenty of time in time out during my water polo days. Dorothy is not interested in being part of Rose's double crossing and wants out. But Blanche doesn't want that as she has teamed up with one of the Nielsen twins. Rose is shocked one of the twins was willing to bowl without the other and probably more jealous than anything as the Nielsens were renowned bowlers. But I guess that's what happens when twins do that whole let's dupe someone by trading places but not telling the other twin or that twin's boyfriend that that's what you're doing. Rose, now in a panic at being faced with real competition, begs Dorothy to stay on her team. She even gets up and starts rubbing Dorothy's shoulders. In a great moment of what I call dual face acting, we see the same distant look in Rose's eyes as she starts rubbing Dorothy's shoulders harder. Dorothy's face gets tight and contorted, and she seems to take Rose's words as a threat. We cut to the lanai where Dorothy is doing some gardening when Sophia joins her. She and Augie have been spending a lot of time with each other over the last few days and are hitting it off just as they had when they were young. At Dorothy's sympathetic, I wish you guys had more time together, Sophia shares that Augie has invited her to go back to his village with him, not to move, just a vacation during the San Gennaro Festival where they had first met. The San Gennaro Festival is a special place for Sophia. Not only did she meet Augie there in the 20s, we'll learn in a later episode that's where she conceived Dorothy. The San Gennaro Festival is native to Naples, Italy, and celebrates the Bishop of Benevito, a bishop in 500 AD that survived being thrown in a furnace, then put in a den with wild beasts. The legend goes that two vials containing his blood were sent to Naples along with his body. The congealed blood is said to liquefy once a year on the anniversary of his death, so now cities around the world have festivals, which the one I went to in Vegas wasn't about liquefying blood or a bishop, but wandering through rows and rows of food carts, eating delicious Italian meals. Miracle blood, fantastic party. Feast of San Gennaro, fun fact. Ooh. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel mm-hmm. of Jimmy Kimmel Live. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, kind of like popularized it in LA. Like he would put on a Feast of San Gennaro. Really? And have like, yeah, all the food and activities and shit. Yeah. He was like, it wasn't happening. I'm going to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah, there that's wasn't really one. Cool. I think there wasn't one in LA and he he started it. Yeah, I think that's that's true. Well, this will either be in there or it won't, but I'm pretty sure it's true. That's I know that he cool. did that because I was living there. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Dorothy won't allow Sophia to go because of her age and health. Sophia argues that it is those exact reasons why she should go, that life is short and this is an important thing to do, to live and celebrate life. 
Dorothy doesn't give in so much as she realizes her mother is still the mother in the situation and she can do what she wants. But when Sophia pushes it and asks for the $1,200 in the airfare, well, it's met with an Italian, don't think about it. Nowadays, the tickets are only about 650 bucks, but that is COVID pricing. Rose walks in on the disagreement. Dorothy makes up a quip about denying Sophia tickets to Bruce Springsteen, a famous American singer who likes to sing about New Jersey and walking through Philadelphia. And in 1985, he was on his first huge tour for the Born in the USA album, during which he did swing through Florida, but it was in 1984, and it was in Tallahassee. So I guess it's a real-life scheduling plot, whoopsie. I'm really glad that you're bringing the Golden Girls to task about these things. (laughs) You should see. Someone has to. Someone has to. It's really funny. So I'm in like almost all the Golden Girls Facebook groups. Mm -hmm. And one that I enjoy the most and, and really get a lot of joy from Every day somebody says, I watched this episode today and it's a different actor playing the daughter or it's she said this age, but this age is here. And it's funny. Every once in a while, you'll see someone be like, you guys, don't be so negative. That's not why we love it. And always the response to all that is this is why we love it, because there's so much. What do you call that? Lore. Lore. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's so much lore to the Golden Girls universe that you kind of get rewarded By the mistakes. Mm -hmm. That's when you know you're a real fan is if you can watch all of it and go, oh, that's wrong because I'm not saying they're wrong and I'm correcting them and I'm better than them. It's, oh, I love this show so much and watch it so much that I get rewarded by knowing these little Easter eggs. Yeah. Accidental Easter eggs. First being schmaltzy as Rose's understanding of Sophia and Augie's relationship, she quickly turns spicy, ratting out that Rose has replaced Dorothy as her bowling partner. Sophia classically drops the drama bomb, then sees herself out as Dorothy confronts Rose. Rose explained that once she learned of the breakup of the twins, she had to take the opportunity to pick up the spare. (laughs) Thank you. Dorothy is mildly annoyed but doesn't get angry as Rose makes it clear she intends only to win, not to make friends. Blanche joins them on the lanai and is once again just devastated. She breaks the news to the girls that the boyfriend that the Nielsen twins were cheating on and with had died, so they decided to get back together. I love that Lars the Swede owned a Volvo dealership. Through all of this, I enjoy imagining the poor worker at the bowling alley using those old school golf pencils we had to use for scoring, having to redo the list for the tournament over and over and over. Just getting call after call from Blanche, Rose, and the Nielsen twins. That poor worker. Now, only a few moments after telling Dorothy she wasn't good enough to bowl with, Rose has learned she's all alone and starts to plead with Dorothy to be on her team again. Sophia comes back out and joins in, offering to join Rose in the tournament to prove she's an able-bodied woman that deserves to go to Italy with her boyfriend. We cut to a scene that is not only classic in the series, but classic in the writing. It is one of those moments that doesn't necessarily fit the plot, but you can picture the writers coming up with the idea and finding a way to fit it in, a one-off that stays with you. Blanche is asleep at the kitchen table. And I just realized after all these years, all the viewings, all the guests and the space in that house, the girls don't actually have a formal dining room or even a dining table. I never really thought about that. 
Anyway, Blanche is asleep at the table, having what appears to be a very pleasant dream. Dorothy bursts in and tries to wake her so they can go practice, but to no avail. So she sneaks up on her and, putting her deep voice to work, scares Blanche awake by pretending to be a married man. Blanche bursts awake, scrambling for her shoes before she realizes it was just to get her awake. But Blanche knew better than to mess with a married man. Well, on purpose, at least. Blanche goes on to complain about all of the 6 a.m. pre-work and evening post-work bowling practices, while Dorothy defends them as it is the only way they'll be good enough to beat the Nielsen twins. Blanche isn't convinced as she isn't competitive, but she also doesn't like being dumped. So between revenge and competition, they're in. Thinking they're sneaking out of the house, they actually bump into Rose and Sophia who are returning from bowling at 6 a.m. I'm not sure where all these all-hour bowling alleys are in Miami, but maybe it's because of the older demographic, like how mall walkers get to go to the mall at like 4 a.m. And you noticed on the sign which, good catch, because I'd never seen it, that as they're going in for the tournament, it says 24-hour bowling. Yeah, the exterior shot, I caught it. That's why I'm here, you know? That's really cool. I, this is this is why I'm here. That'd be fun to go bowling at, like, 1 in the morning. Yes, it would. Or, like... Ever, at any time. Yes. you can bowl again <laughs> and be with friends. In this scene, we learn that Dorothy is 55, but she was married for 38 years, which ended two years prior. So she got married at 15? This is a little bit of a plot whoopsie, as she did get married young, but like 18 or 19 young, not 15. It was a different time. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. This episode, um, I was just like the idea of having a young adulthood like Blanche, mm. like a lot of sex and stuff like that, sounds so nice. And I wish that it happened <laughs> to young people, you know, go Live out your there, life have, when safely. you're an adult, have safe sex yeah. a bunch yeah. or a little, yeah. as much as you would like. Whatever to has have you safely. feel satisfi satisfied with just, whoever you want to be with. Because if you don't and you get older and you haven't, you will think about it. Me. As the trash talk flies between the girls, Sophia offers to make a wager. This isn't a spoiler, but it's maybe a whoopsie. In a later episode, we learn of Dorothy's gambling habit. So watching this episode after learning that in the future, it's a bit like, whoa, Sophia, stop enabling. Maybe that was the first domino to fall. Oh, it's not, but that's a good theory. Shh. Oh, well, beep it. <laughs> Here I go again. The Petrillo women make a deal that if Dorothy wins, she gets her mom's antique silver earrings. If she wins, Sophia gets to borrow the money to be able to go to Italy. This is met with a chicken sound. I'm not sure if anyone listening is familiar with the movie The Room, considered one of the worst films of all time. It's one of my favorites. In the B.C., before COVID times, I would go to a midnight showing a few times a year. I bring this up because I'm pretty sure Tommy Wiseau, with his cheep, 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 went to the same school of making animal sounds as Sophia with her or whatever that thing is. And we looked up what sound chickens make in Italian, and it was kind of, it was just like a normal chicken sound. It was like a bok, 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 bok kind of a thing. Bok, 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 bok. Yeah, but not this. Kukuriku. Boop, 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 boop. She does like this dove boop, call. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Don't leave that in. 
That's what she said. No. Rose's competitive nature rears its ugly head again when she decides she wants in on the action, too, and asks Blanche about a bet. Blanche hits peak mean girl here with a, I would, but everything you own is so damn ugly, while giving her a once-over with her judgmental eyes. It's a scorcher. An aspect I love about this episode is, while we have other times the girls argue or have incidents like with Dr. Clayton, that the girls really get into it and have to put their work into salvaging their relationships, they realize with the tournament, it's all in good fun. No one holds a grudge for it or is unreasonably mad at the change of teams or trash talking. No one is being sensitive. They're just in it for the enjoyment, competition, and revenge. Team one arrives at the bowling alley, Dorothy in her blue and yellow bowling shirt, flowy and oversized as usual, Blanche in her tight, silky black and pink number, looking like a rejected extra from Grease 2. They are assigned lane seven. Blanche is excited while Dorothy inquires about her being superstitious. I find it kind of funny Dorothy asks about seven in a negative way, as I've only ever heard it used in a lucky manner. Seven is an overwhelmingly favorite number for people. A lot of its perceived luck comes from the abundant use of it in the Bible. Seven days to create the earth and rest, seven deadly sins, etc. The idea of seven being unlucky comes from other countries where the pronunciation may sound like a negative word or has negative connotations. Blanche is just happy to have that lane because she can peek in on the locker room. Because, yes, it's true. Back in the day, bowling alleys had locker rooms. I can only assume this was for people that were going from work straight to the lanes and needed to change into their appropriate attire. But if you get a minute, you should Google bowling alley locker rooms. They are very groovy and you'll love the benches they had built with specialty divots for your ball to rest in. After oogling the locker room, Sophia and Rose arrive and are assigned the same lane. That is, because those pesky Nielsen twins had to miss the tournament for the Viking funeral of their shared boyfriend. They had attempted his funeral the day before, but because it was a traditional Viking funeral, meaning they were putting him out to sea and setting a boat ablaze, he was being put out by the Coast Guard. And that poor uh, bowling alley attendant has to get his Once pencil again. out? Once <laughs> again. They don't pay me enough. Hopefully, though, his traditional Viking funeral wasn't totally traditional. According to museumhack.com, Viking funerals and burials were gnarly, incorporating things like human, usually women and babies and animals, as sacrifices so the Vikings wouldn't go to the afterlife alone. While it is usually what we picture, the flaming arrow aspect of Viking funerals was actually made up in 1958 for a Viking film. The Vikings used torches that were brought to the boat by a naked man who would cover his hindquarters so that no spirits would tail him. There were also Viking funerals, which had many of the same unpleasant aspects, human and animal sacrifices, weapons being left with the deceased, etc. But instead of a water device, they were crammed in boxes that were sometimes too small or even had layers of other burials above and below them. No wonder the twins had to try again the next day to get their man buried. If you are wanting a Viking funeral, well, you sort of can. While the Coast Guard would take issue with a body being sent to sea while on fire, you can spread ashes in the ocean. You can also contact the only place in the U.S. where open-air cremation or a pyre is legal. CreestoneInOfLife.org is where you can find information about Creestone in Colorado. 
Since it takes a lot of heat and a lot of time to actually cremate a human's remains, it is quite the fascinating undertaking of these folks to have a more natural, unique end-of-life option. While Dorothy and Blanche didn't bother with their outfits, Rose and Sophia have decided to coyly reveal they are not only in matching bowling shirts, but they are in the same pink and black silky shirt Blanche has, knowing her vanity would be a weakness. I, I really love how petty that is. So just they knew exactly yeah, how to get her riled up. Rose hits Blanche with a great burn about how good it looks on her because she has a full bosom, which in doing some not very reliable internet sleuthing, I found claims that Rue wore a 40C bra while Betty wore a 32C, and that is just not possible. So if there is an expert, not you, Coco, who wants to maybe shoot me an email about that, does that sound the pervious? I've just always been curious. And as a well-endowed woman myself, I've always admired how there would be jokes about Blanche's smaller boobs, but she owned them. They were never the make or break of her sexiness. She was just confident. She was the queen of the itty-bitty titty committee. As Dorothy brings Blanche back to Earth and points out that the girls are just pulling cheap tricks in order to get in their head to win, Rose brings out her next weapon, calling Sophia Ma. This stops Dorothy in her tracks. Blanche is now the one comforting, and they get started with the game. Miniature Sophia is the first to bowl. She lugs the large ball down the lane and slowly rolls it. As it crawls towards the pins, she turns confidently, informing the girls it will be a strike, which eventually it is. Unshaken, Dorothy steps up. As she fakes her confidence while approaching, she hears Rose call Sophia Ma once more and throws the ball backwards towards Blanche. The game goes on and we find Rose getting heated as the pins The game goes on and we find Rose getting heated at the pins she's missed. Sophia returns after checking the scoreboard and they are the last teams still playing. With the points they have, if Rose can get a spare, they'll be in the lead. No pressure. As a distracting crowd of extras has gathered in the back to watch the action, we get a little bit of a plot whoopsie as they show Rose's ball going down the lane. Lane number one. What was all this lucky number seven business? She excitedly gets the spare, putting Rose and Sophia in the lead, but the excitement is only temporary as Blanche has her last frame to play, which could put them in the lead and they could win the tournament. Rose pulls out her last weapon when she talks to Dorothy about Blanche's inability to perform under pressure. Blanche tells her to eat chalk, which is a really good comeback because it's so simple yet disgusting. It makes my teeth hurt just thinking about it. Blanche proudly steps up but slowly starts to fall apart. Dorothy coaches her, checks in as she starts to panic, but Blanche is crumbling quickly and Dorothy is trying to lift her spirits before threatening to throw her and the ball at the pins. In the same manner I throw a spider out my front door on a piece of paper, Blanche disregards the ball and runs back to her seat, reminding the girls she was never interested in the competition, she just wanted to look cute. This is met with the shimmy. Rose and Sophia remind Blanche they are all dressed the same when they give a little shoulder booby shimmy, sending her over the edge. Blanche only wants to win now out of spite, so she gives it her best shot. She excitedly proclaims that she did it, while Dorothy is confused because her version of doing it would be winning. 
while Blanche is being proud of herself for overcoming her paralyzing fear of pressure. There's one turn left. It's Dorothy's. A strike or even a spare would win the whole thing. She doesn't struggle under pressure as she just wants to win. With only the nine pin between her and the win, Dorothy overhears Augie, who has just arrived, talking to Sophia about if she won or not. He shares his memory of Sophia's ability to play bocce ball, a game played with baseball-sized balls that are thrown to an even smaller ball. Invented in 5200 BC, bocce ball became popular in Italy in the late 1800s and has even gone on to be an Olympic sport and a frequent game in my own backyard. Dorothy is taken by them sharing the fact that the day of the grape harvest and the bocce ball was also the day they both shared their first kiss with each other. She intentionally throws a gutter ball, not only losing the game, but giving the win to Sophia and Rose. Rose is an ecstatic, sore winner, screaming about the win and shaking the hands of the adoring fans that have been watching, the fans that are drinking a 45-cent soda. Sophia delightfully reminds Dorothy that she gets to go to Italy. When she pushes for more cash to get first-class tickets, Dorothy throws out more Italian with Arrivederci. See you later. Back at the house, Sophia is home, telling Dorothy all about her time with Augie in the old village. Sophia was so happy to have gone back home and to have had time with the people she had cared about. Then she gives Dorothy the earrings that were part of the bet. When Dorothy reminds her that she won, Sophia isn't buying it. She knows she threw the game on purpose so she could go on the trip. Which is funny. If they were going to pay either way, she could have done the same thing with the money given it to her afterwards. Maybe it speaks to her ability to manage her competitive nature or that Sophia wouldn't have taken the money even if she had won it fair and square. Sophia scampers off to unload her somehow through customs bag of clams. Rose arrives home happily and the girls aren't having it. They're both still acting mad about her dumping and undumping of them for the tournament. She extends an olive blanch by apologizing and presenting them with a trophy wherein she put all of their names. The girls are taken with the idea, but a little apprehensive at how large she made her own name over theirs. She quickly clutches it away and informs them they can look at it whenever they'd like. It'll be in her room. Leash, what's your trophy count? What do you what do you what do you got as far as awards for mm. achievement and in sporting and other things? In sports, I have probably four or five T-ball. You're five and you go to T-ball and you go to pizza and everyone gets a trophy. So I have several of those or had. Just mostly participation, a lot of participation awards. You love participating. I do love participating. My only like real award in like school day sports was most improved in water polo. And for that, they like put your name in the gym and stuff. And it was like, uh... Okay, guys. Least drowned. Whatever. I do, when I leave a cruise, Golden Girls Cruise is coming up, and when I leave a cruise, I leave with a lot of medals. (laughs) (laughs) Participation awards and game show awards and lip sync contest awards. Mm -hmm. Those I cherish. What about you? What are your trophies? Not really. I think I have one. I I played soccer when I was four, and I have a trophy from that, my one season. Pretty famous photo going around. <laughs> yes, there is. Around my group of people that I know, which is like 10 people. And then nothing until... <laughs> Long stretch. Until, I mean, 2009 or 10, and I go to Seaside for a... Was it a bachelor party or a, some sort of... Something, some birthday weekend for a friend of my girlfriend's. 
and at Seaside they have like a little in, like an indoor mini golf place. Is that right? Yes, they do. And we had a mini golf tournament among like ten people, twelve people, and I and I won. That's really cool. It was cool. It was the and I, I honestly I did not bring this up to talk about it. I would hope not. No, man. Someday I'm gonna get to talk about my miniature golf casual tournament. Yes. And now I won. But I mean, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was the best I ever did at anything. (laughs) (laughs) Are you competitive? Do you think you're a competitive Um, person? Hmm. In some ways, but I'm not outwardly competitive Hmm. and I will never, I just don't like, I don't like that. (laughs) I don't, I mean, competitive is good. I don't like aggressive or like my, my least favorite thing is when someone wins and is a shit about it yeah. or loses. I mean, I just can't stand gloating. Gloating right. really is what just like, I want to chimpanzee rip your face <laughs> off. <laughs> I'm super competitive. But that's because I, I just, know. I like to, I, I like the game. I don't care if there's a trophy. I don't care if there's a prize. I don't care if there's anything. I just want to conquer it. Hmm. I don't care if it's against myself or 50 people Whatever it is. I mean, when we're on that cruise, we're going to have to be playing. At <laughs> you the guys, you've game. got to sign up for the Golden Girls cruise. We're going to be there. It's going to be so much fun. Oh, oh, my heck. Oh, to travel again. But yeah, I think it's I feel like I have a healthy competitive nature because it's not constant. It's not with everything. And I never it's never like so that I can say I won. It's just like me for me. I did it. Mm-hmm. I conquered that thing that I wanted to do. Augie came across the ocean just to visit with Sophia. She is not only in a badass bowling tournament, but if she wins, she gets to go with him to Italy. And he shows up only to see the final frame? What the hell were you doing all day, Augie? I get that Sophia wasn't around a lot in the mornings because she was practicing, but still, maybe that's why we don't ever hear from you ever again. I feel sad about some of the relationships we only get for an episode, so maybe I can imagine that they went to the San Gennaro Fest, they had a great time, drank wine, made love. Then Sophia brought up the game and why he wasn't there to support her. He explained he was old and tired, and she was like, I don't care about age. I want to be with someone that wants to live. And they didn't fight, but they just realized that their love affair had come to an end. They kiss and part ways, always holding a special place in one another's heart. Healthy competition can be good for a person and even relationships, but not if it costs you your friendships. While the overall moral of today's story is that winning doesn't mean anything if it means losing your friends, there is a more important point being made by Sophia. When she asks Dorothy for the money to travel and it's met with, you're old and not super healthy, she doesn't agree and slip into a chair to rot. She says, that's the point. I'm old and life is passing me by. If I don't do these things now, I might not get the chance. That's something that's been on my mind a lot lately. Someone very close to me retired last year and moved into a dream house with his wife so they could finally live their lives together how they always wanted. They would finally have time to travel, see their grandkids, do those things that were on their list for all those years. Just a few months ago, he was diagnosed with cancer, and as I speak, he is slipping away with those grandkids by his side. Those days he was so excited for were never guaranteed, and now he won't get to have them. So even if you are old, not in perfect health, or maybe the timing isn't right or the money isn't available, find a way. 
Check those things off your list before time slips away and you're the lady Sophia goes to visit but died that morning. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Have you ever wanted your house to have the sweet aroma of a cheap, tawdry slut? Or perhaps an escape from shady pines? Well, smell no further than SmellsLikeMonday.com. Smells Like Monday not only has a four-pack of candles representing each of our Golden Girls, but they also have a line for The Bachelor, Gilmore Girls, and more. So visit SmellsLikeMonday.com or Etsy.com slash shop slash SmellsLikeMonday. So when you have guests over, they'll ask, is that fresh tube and burbles? Today's love letter comes from Beth Smith Russell from the Facebook group, You're Cuter Than an Interuterine, which if you're a fan, you really should join that group. It's a really fun group of like-minded Golden Girls fans that just wanna make memes and roast each other on our birthdays. Beth says, let's talk about how much ahead of its time this show actually was. I was born in the 80s and raised in the 90s, and this show gave me many first glimpses into the lives of many others who unknowingly were around me. AIDS, gay lesbian relationship, age discrimination, sexual harassment, assisted suicide, racism, unseen chronic illness, divorce, sex for older generations, cross-dressing, plastic surgery, body image issues, the list goes on. I've loved the show since I was little, but I see a lot of its power now as an adult. What are some of your favorite moments from the show that served as an awakening? Thank you so much, Beth. And if you would like your love letter featured, you can email it to me at alwaysbemysisters at gmail.com. That's what she requested. <laughs> That's pretty good. All right. Ready to roll? Yeah. Do I still sound good? Get it. Roll. Bowling. Mm-mm. We were at my friend's house. This is the friend whose dad I saw scratching himself with a fork in the kitchen in his tidy whities in the middle of the night. Thank you. Sitting in the ki- in the kitchen watching the kitchen TV. Thank you. And be just always looking for a couch to, to get weak on. <laughs> <laughs> Preferably at Shay's Lounge. Yes. Men wearing too tight a trouser. Trouser. <laughs> Men wearing too tight a trouser. Oh, my God. Why can't I say trouser? What? My buried trouser. <laughs> Stupid. No one is sensitive, just in it for the enjoyment. Enjoyment? Yeah. What's the name? Oh, Canyonero in oh, Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> Canyonero. Canyonero. And those sacrifices were not always in the same, shall we say, condition they were at at the time of their death. Does that sentence make sense? Nope. If you're wanting a Viking... If you are wanting a Viking funeral, well, you sort of can. Can? I am really shit in the bed it today. It like you said canned like a tomato or I something. I did. You canned. That's fun. You are going to like it. <laughs> you canned. I can do it. You can. You canned. Just about Betty White's big swinging. <laughs> this better stay in. That is what she said. Rose is ecstatic. No. Partition pressure. They kiss and part ways, always holding a special plate. Oh. We meet Dreyfus from next door.
Is that the empty nest dog? It sure is. Wow. How did I know that? I don't know. Oh, that's upsetting. You always be my sisters. Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my